Let's turn in our scriptures to Matthew chapter 6. We'll have two scripture readings, and then we'll head over to Luke chapter 11. Matthew chapter 6 and verse uh, 9. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, speaking specifically to his disciples, says, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I'm turning to Luke, chapter 11 now. Luke 11, and verse 2, the second instance where Jesus uh, teaches his disciples the Lord's Prayer, what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. Verse 2, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Thus far the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and life-giving word for us this evening. We're coming now to the the actual how-to of prayer. You have all been very patient. Uh, As you recall, we we started this series on the Lord's Prayer a few weeks ago with this, this petition. Teach us to pray. Period. Just, just help us to start praying. And then we moved to what we find at the introduction in Matthew chapter 6. Teach us how not to pray. Don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't pray like the heathens. Well, now finally, teach us how to pray. And we look at the Lord's Prayer itself. As we do in our morning services, it's good and right to use these words exactly in prayer. When we don't know what to pray for, this is a good general rule. When you don't know how you should pray, what to pray, you turn to the Bible and you use God's words and you pray them back to him. That's true for all of scripture, but then it's especially true in those portions of scripture which are actual prayers, uh, as this one is. Jesus even prefaces it in Luke when he says, when you pray... Say this. Say these words. Pray these words. This is what John Calvin said. Jesus prescribed a form for us in which he set forth as though at a table all that he would allow for us to seek of him, all that is of benefit to us, all that we need to ask. From this kindness, the kindness of giving us the Lord's Prayer, we receive great fruit of consolation that we know We are requesting nothing absurd, nothing strange or unseemly. In short, nothing unacceptable to him since we're asking almost in his own words. There's assurance, there's comfort in praying the words of the Lord's Lord's Prayer. 
Of course, that's if they come from the heart, as one theologian reminds us. This prayer is perfect in and of itself. However, he who prays has not prayed perfectly by merely having recited the words. We need to believe them. But the Lord's Prayer is, is not just a model for, um, for us to use, um, a form for us to use, securing our confidence that God hears us when we recite it. It is more than that. It provides a wonderful pattern for prayer. Uh, while Luke, in Luke, Jesus says, when you pray, say this. In Matthew, he says, pray then like this. Use words like this. Look at the shape and, and the structure of this prayer. Learn from that and let that inform and shape and structure your own prayers. And that's what we are focusing on tonight. How the Lord's Prayer teaches us how to pray. Generally speaking, in the following weeks, we're going to break down each petition line by line as we find it in Matthew chapter 6. But tonight we're zooming out. We're taking um, this look at its overall content. And we want to ask how that can inform our personal prayers. Uh, how, well, how does it teach us to pray? And I think it teaches us to pray in at least five ways. And I recognize this morning I had a five-point sermon. This is pretty rare. Ten points today for you. Aren't you glad? First, how does this prayer teach us to pray? It teaches us to pray like a child. Or if you want, for alliteration's sake, it teaches us how to pray like a son. Because the second thing is it's like a sibling, and then like a servant, like a sinner, and like a saint. We'll get to those soon enough. But this teaches us how to pray like a true child of God, a son of God. Perhaps there's nothing more fundamental to real discipleship and nothing more fundamental in unlocking the secret of true prayer, fervent prayer, persistent prayer than learning how to be a child again. Matthew uh, chapter 6, there in the Sermon on the Mount, the section that we find it here, verses 1 through 18, Jesus refers to, fa- uh, to God as Father ten times. And on numerous occasions in his ministry, he instructed the disciples, you need to be like a child. The kingdom of God is for children. You need to get back into that world of, of, of being a child to inherit the kingdom of God. And he's teaching that same lesson as we look at the structure of prayer. He wants us, first and foremost, to acknowledge God as our Father. He wants us to pray as children. And if we think about how children interact with their parents, well, that's really informative for us in how we should pray. What does that mean? What's that look like to To pray like a child. Well, for one thing, it means you come as you are. Children come to their parents exactly as they are. They they have the security that they belong to their parents. We come with the security that we belong to God as his children, that nothing can turn us away from him. And so we just come as we are. We've been joking lately, you know, now with summer and everything, that Evie has become... Our feral child, because she loves to run out and, and in her bare feet and get in the mud and, and eat the dirt, and um, her hair's all frizzy. And she comes to us oftentimes like that after playing outside. And usually there's some, you know, chocolate or food caked into her hair or something like that, too. And she wants to be picked up. And we say, No, 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 you need to go get a bath first. No, of course we don't say that. Right? We pick her up. 
She comes as she is, and she knows that she'll get the embrace of her mother and her father. We don't tell her to change her clothes first. We don't tell her to wash her hands, though admittedly, I will, I'll admit, sometimes I do kind of hold her at arm's length just to get you know, the chocolate wiped off from her hands. Little children know they belong in the arms of their parents, and so they come as they are. And that's how we're to pray. Not putting on airs. Right? That's what the, heathens did, or that's what the uh, hypocrites did. No, we just come as we are. Uh, because we know God will accept us that way. Come, ye sinners, poor and weary, weak and wounded by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. So you come as, as you are. Praying like a child means that you come as you are. It also means that you ask like a child. What do children ask for? They ask for anything and everything. The sky's the limit. It's not till they're older that realism sets in. And so the Lord, Lord's Prayer models for us the wide range of petitions that, that, a, that a, a child should bring to their heavenly father. We ask for something as great as God's divine will to be done, to be accomplished the whole world over. Is there a more massive or a more comprehensive ask than that? Your will be done on earth as it's done perfectly in heaven. We ask that the Lord would by his his Holy Spirit, protect us from the assaults of Satan. Keep us from temptation. These are big asks. Forgive us for our sins. What did that take? That took the, 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 the bloodshed of his son on the cross. These are not small requests. But then we say, and just enough bread for today. We ask anything and everything. The biggest petition and yet the smallest request. Praying like a child means that we come as we are. We ask for anything and everything, but it also means we ask believingly. There isn't anything that a, a dad can't do in the eyes of his child. There's that, that, that wonderful age where the children look up to their fathers and they're the world to them and, and they, they're unstoppable and, and they believe it so much they get in fights with other kids about it. Well, yeah, my dad can do this. Well, no, my dad can do this. Well, my dad... They just believe the world of their fathers. It's that childlike faith that can attain the promise of Jesus in Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Children ask believingly. My dad and I now can joke about this. But when I was younger, I asked my dad to, and be careful, young parents or young fathers out there, I asked my dad to build me a car. He's an accountant, by the way. He's not mechanically minded in any sense of the term. He said, of course, I'll build you a car. I said, I want it to have buttons. I mean, I remember this so vividly. The yellow button, that would be a triangle, and the green button would be a circle, and the blue button would be a square. And when you push the yellow button, the car would turn into a hovercraft. I'll do it. And when you push the green button, it would turn into a helicopter. And the blue button, it would turn into an airplane. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, I'll do that for you. And then, you know, Dad, where's that, that car? Oh, working on that still? He's told me years later, I really thought you would forget about it. You know, I mean, and now I'm 30 years old and I still will teach him, where's that car? There's nothing that you could ask your Heavenly Father that's too great for Him to do. 
And here's the other thing. When your heavenly father says, I'll do it, he will do it. If, in faith, believing you ask it, you will receive it. That's what it is to pray as a child. To pray as the son of God. The prayer also teaches us to pray like a sibling, though. That is, friends, you are not the only person who can call God father. Isn't that fascinating? Consider the pronouns in this prayer. Our father. Uh, Give us our bread. Forgive us our debts. We forgive our debtors. Lead us not. Deliver us from evil. The prayer really doesn't make sense if you remove it from the Christian community, the context of the Christian family. There's a a clever little poem that draws this out. You cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and even once say I. You cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and ever once say my. Nor can you pray the Lord's Prayer and not pray for another. And when you ask for daily bread, you must include your brother. For others are included in each and every plea from beginning to the end. It never once says me. It's a prayer for siblings. We're reminded to pray for others in this prayer that Jesus has given us. It it is good and, and right for me always to pray that the Lord would give us our daily bread. For even if there's no risk of me not having food on the table, I'm praying for my brothers and sisters for whom that might not be such a sure thing. The Westminster Larger Catechism, which we looked at last week, question 183, for whom are we to pray? Answer, we're to pray for the whole church of Christ upon earth, for magistrates and ministers, for ourselves, our brethren, yes, even our enemies, and for all sorts of men living or that would live hereafter. Likewise, we're told in the shorter catechism that the preface of the Lord's Prayer, our Father, who art in heaven, teaches us that we should pray with and for others, because he's not just my father, he's our father. In our parental vows at baptism, the parents must take a vow that they would pray with and for the child that they're bringing to be baptized. When we receive new members, as we did this morning with the butchers, Vanderus and Wanzers, and we, I turn to the congregation and I say, now you must vow that you would encourage them through godly example and prayer that you promised. That's what you did this morning. You promised to pray with and for these new members. So praying for others is expected of us. Do we do it, though, is the question. It's such an easy thing. And often we rely on this little phrase in conversation, you know, somebody sharing a struggle. And you just don't know what to say. And so you say, well, I'll be praying for you. And that's a good thing to say. And it's a better thing to do. But how often do we just say it and not do it? It's kind of part of our Christianese, our Christian speak. I'll be praying for you, And I am so convicted of how often I, I've thrown that promise out to, to people and then have never followed through on it. And I, I try to do better on that and people share things. I'll say, well, I will try to remember to pray for you. Or even better, let's pray about that right now. That's something I would encourage you to do. If somebody's sharing with you, what, what's wrong to just stop at that moment and say, let's pray about this real quick. Let's just do it. You can be on the phone with them. Let's pray about this. It takes 30 seconds. We should pray not just for others, but with others. Parents, do you pray with your children? Husbands, do you pray with your wives? And vice versa. It surprises me how many couples struggle to share that moment of intimacy 
before one another. If that's you, I'm not saying this to beat you up. Don't, don't get down about it. Uh, but you can start even tonight. You can go home tonight and, and pray, even on the car ride home, with and for one another. If you think about it, is there anything more loving we could do for anyone else in the world, certainly if we think about our spouses, but for anybody, than to intercede to the almighty throne of God on their behalf? We are to pray with and for others because we are part of a family. Uh, this prayer holds intention several things. Uh, we see that we come to God as, as members of this family. We're sons, we're siblings with one another. But we also see, thirdly, that this prayer teaches us to come as servants of God. There's still a posture of reverence, a posture of respect. And this prayer teaches us how to pray in that way too. Because notice how it's structured. The first half of the prayer, it's all about God. It's all about Him. It's all about a desire that he would be glorified, that, that he would get what he wants, so to speak. Your will be done. We, we talk about his name and his attributes. You're, you're, our, you're our father. You have a name that's to be hallowed. You're a transcendent father in, in heaven. You, you are the, the sovereign king. Your kingdom come. You are the one who predestines all things on earth and in heaven. It's a prayer that is first and foremost concerned that God gets what he deserves, not that we get what we want. It's a prayer that first and foremost is about God getting what he deserves, not you and I getting what we want. And so the Lord's Prayer teaches us to pray as those who bow before the Lord, who wait upon the Lord, who want to serve the Lord. We're His servants. But then we move on and we realize we're not just His servants, we're sinners too. We're unworthy servants. And so this prayer teaches us how to pray like sinners too. That's the fourth thing. Forgive us our debts. Some versions are trespasses. This goes hand in hand with the previous point of, of recognizing that we come as servants, right? When we acknowledge our sin before the Lord, what we're acknowledging is that he's the one who calls the shots, isn't he? Not us. We saw a little bit of that in Psalm 100, right? We are his. We are his people. It is he who made us, not we ourselves. He's the sovereign king. We come as servants, but we come acknowledging that we are unworthy servants. He is holy and we are not. You know, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, uh, question 98, asks, what is prayer? And, and it includes in the answer, true prayer. It includes in that answer, the confession of sin. As, as though to say, if you're not coming to God confessing your sin, you're not praying. What is prayer? Answer prayers and offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Do you do that in your prayer? Is your prayer life marked by contrition, confession? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We must take our cue from, from Abraham, 
when he came before the Lord, he, he bound together perfectly this idea of coming as a servant and as a sinner. When he calls upon God, this is in that, that scene where um, the city of, of Sodom and Gomorrah sorry, is threatened. And his nephew Lot is there and he wants to plead that Lot would be saved. You remember the scene, he keeps coming back. Well, what if there are 50, okay, what if there are 40, 30, and so forth? And yet he prefaces that entire interchange with this line, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. I'm nothing before God. I'm a sinner before holy God. My prayers must reflect that. And if I'm anything, it's that I am his servant. That's why I'm coming, to do your will. When we make our petitions, and we, when we pray, we are good at making petitions. Oftentimes we forget the praise part. Our brother Brian led us so beautifully earlier in a praise that extolled God as creator. Uh, we forget those, that, that, that necessity in prayer of, of starting with him, with who he is. But even when we make petitions and we get to our needs and our wants and our desires, we do so humbly. We're, our face is in the ground. And we say, I'm daring to speak to the Almighty God, even though I'm dust and, and ashes. Now I want to um, balance what I've just said with this final point, in that this prayer is instructive for us in learning how to pray like a saint. Prayer is a mystery. How it works is a mystery. So it's not surprising that we can somehow simultaneously come to God both as a son and a servant, and both as a sinner and a saint at the same time, in the same prayer. That happens in this prayer. But what I mean by praying like a saint is this. While we acknowledge our sin before the Lord, we come with the confidence that that sin has been dealt with at the cross of Christ. And that sin doesn't define us. You know what defines you tonight, dear Christian? Not your sin, but his son, his righteousness. You are clothed in that righteousness. And that's why we can come with boldness. And can it be that wonderful hymn has the, that last line, Bold I approach the eternal throne. How are we to approach it boldly? Well, we're robed in righteousness, not our own. That's what Wesley reminds us of in that wonderful song. We are acknowledging our sin and yet confident that that sin has been pardoned, that we are claimed as God's holy people because of the holiness of Jesus Christ. We're holy because he is holy. Hebrews 2.11 clearly teaches this. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. And therefore, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Isn't that wonderful? The one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. We kind of circle back to where we began, praying like a child. The reason we can do that is because we're united to the Son of God, the righteous one, and that makes us not just a son, it makes us a saint. 
That's what defines us. Friends, if you recognize that prayer is a privilege of somebody who has been justified by the free grace of, of Almighty God, one who is united to Christ, you will not shrink back from prayer. You will pray with confidence. To pray like a saint is to pray with confidence. It's to come boldly before the throne. Uh, we, we pray with our heads bowed low in, in reverence and, and awe and humility, but at the same time, it's as though we can say we pray with our heads held high because... We have nothing to be ashamed of when we come in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. We have already mentioned how the hour in our Father points to the fact that that prayer, Christian prayer, is meant to include the Christian community. Remember what the the shorter catechism uh, taught us, uh, that when we uh, use that preface, our Father... It's teaching us that we should pray uh, for others, that we should pray with and for others, because he is not only our, my father, he is your father as well. But more than that, I think that first pronoun, and I, I would submit to you that that's the most important word, that this is the most important word in the entire prayer, is that three-letter word, our. What that's really getting at is a reminder that the Father that we're praying to is Jesus' Father. He's the one who's bringing us into the family. He's the one who's saying, pray like this. Echo my words, words that I can say. Share my Father with me. He's the one inviting and encouraging and even daring us to address God the same way that he addresses God. And so he is our father, not primarily because he is my father and he's your father. He is our father preeminently because he is my father and Jesus' father. Because he is your father and Jesus' father. What a privilege the Son of God would grant to us. What dignity we can experience in prayer that we come with the same confidence as the righteous Son of God to the Heavenly Father. At the close of C.S. Lewis's The the, uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the the great Lion King Aslan has returned and, and he's... Um, mustering his troops together to make one final assault against the wicked white witch who has made it always winter and never Christmas. Well, no longer. These are the orders that Aslan shouts to his army. And now those who can't keep up, that is the children, dwarves, and small animals, they must ride on the backs of those who can, that is lions, centaurs, unicorns, horses, giants, and eagles. Those who are good with their noses must come in the front with us lions to smell out where the battle is. Look lively and sort yourselves out. And with a great deal of bustle and cheering, they did. But the most pleased of the lot was the other lion, who kept running about everywhere, pretending to be very busy, but really in order to say to everyone that he met, did you hear what he said? Us lions. That means him and me. Us lions. That's why I like Aslan. No side, no standoffishness. Us lions. That means him and me. Friends, 
our Father. That means Him and me. That means Him, Jesus Christ, and you together can say, Our Father. What a privilege. And what a delight prayer is. So how should you do it? How should you pray? Pray like a child. Ask anything and everything and expect it. Pray like a sibling caring for the needs of others. Like a servant ready to glorify God. Like a a sinner humbly confessing before your Savior. And pray like a saint. Bold before the throne. As one who shares all of the blessings of none other than the Son of God himself. Let's pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we do come as your blood-bought children. We can call on you as Father because Jesus Christ is so gracious to share you with us. We pray that you would take your word, which we have studied this evening, which has been preached in our midst, and that your truth would be implanted deep within our hearts, And that it would cause us to know better what it means to pray. And how we should do it. What it should look like. The posture we should take in prayer. We've seen tonight that it's a real privilege. Our our words are too weak to capture the privilege that it is to access your throne and to have your ear. So let us never waste this gift. But come regularly. Come asking anything and everything and expecting all, for you are an amazing God, and you do all things well. Amen.